Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a podcast that does a lot of things, but primarily interview people who are living with herpes. <laughs> One day I'll get it together when it comes to the introduction. Um, if you're here and this is your first time listening to the podcast, I ask that you go and check out episode zero, which gives you a much better idea of what this podcast is about. I have a guest here who is living with herpes. Her name is Liza. Liza, what are your pronouns? I use they, them pronouns. I'm so glad I asked you that because I was definitely going to make the assumption. And that's why it's important to ask these things, too. So I'm glad that that was something that came up because I haven't been very mindful of it. A lot of the guests that I've had on usually have it in their profile or like I've followed them and seen their Instagram stories where they specifically mention what pronouns they use. So thank you for that. Do people use the wrong pronouns? What happens when they use the wrong pronoun or they just uh, they address you? according to how you identify from their perspective do you correct them i think it depends on the situation and like the context that i'm in sometimes i correct people when it feels kind of safe and easy to do so Uh, it also depends on like who i'm with because i'll be with friends that might do it for me i'm in grad school right now so it's tricky in class because you're like do i say something in front of everyone and a lot of that has been dependent on the teacher or the prof kind of setting the context for that to be okay to do but yeah i think it really depends sometimes it's just not worth it usually if i'm correcting someone or if i'm letting them know it's because i've invested some energy into our relationship if i'm never gonna see the person again it's sometimes just like yeah i'll just let that one slide so what happens in your body when that happens because i can just imagine someone you know if i tell them my name's courtney and they continue to call me quentin quincy Corey, or something that's not courtney my body gets tense and I let it slide one or two times, just like you said, if I'm never going to see this person again, but pronouns are important to people. They're important to our identities and it's important to address people the way that they are expressing themselves and want to be received. Is there any tension or stress that builds up when you are mispronounced? That is probably not the thing to say. (laughs) Mispronounced. It could be. I guess some people say, yeah, misgendered. Definitely. Some tension comes up. You know, it's so different for everyone with gender stuff. And I think for me, pronouns are really tricky. Like, I just kind of hate them. For some folks, it feels really validating to for them to be referenced to with, their, like, their pronoun. And for me, I'm like, when people use they, like, I really appreciate it. And it's really, like, a sign of respect because I've established this boundary with someone or, like, this thing that I need in order to feel respected in the space. But when people use they, their pronouns, I'm not like, ah, I am seen. That is my gender, you know? Like, I'm like, gender is messy and weird and fake and real at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I think when it's repeated or I'm getting the vibe that people are just not making the effort to shift things that's kind of where my attention really gets and i know for some folks that i care about very deeply it's a different experience for them so they'll either feel like very affected and it can really throw people into a sense of dysphoria and then i also have folks that use pronouns and when people mess it up it's less of a thing so yeah i think it depends on person to person but for me it can definitely it feels like a little bit of a little stab i've wondered if this was a similar experience I think that this is a really good filter for people to just see how empathetic they are, how aware they are of the world around them and how respectful you are to people. So do you feel as if, okay, someone who's asking you for your pronouns early on in the interaction, does that kind of give them uh, brownie points interacting with you? Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely gives points towards, like, a sense of safety. Uh, like, I'm like, oh, if that person 
person knows to do that, then they might know other things that are going to make me feel safe mm-hmm. to interact with them. Okay. Um, and they're like aware that multiple genders exist and you know, these kinds of things where I'm like, oh, I don't have to hide yeah. that part of myself or like assert that and use that energy to without like knowing what's, how that's going to be received. So mm-hmm. yeah, I guess in a way. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad we were able to have this little discussion before we got <laughs> yeah. to the podcast episode. That's very right. useful to know. All right. So I'm going to let you go ahead and get into your story about sure. contracting big H. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm Liza. I'm 29. I live in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I don't know how much folks know. Most of the viewers, I'm assuming, are in the States. It's kind of in the middle of Canada. I contracted HSV-1 genitally when I was, I think, 21, maybe 22, somewhere in there. I'm 29 now. I can't remember if I said that. Um, yeah, I was living on the East Coast. I grew up on the East Coast, and I actually went to the doctor for, like, a different reason. I went to the school doctor and then noticed this thing, and I thought I had an ingrown hair. And I was like, I'm just going to, like, get them to check it out, make sure. And then the doctor was really flippantly like, oh, yeah, it looks like herpes. And I was like, excuse me, what now? Um, <laughs> pardon me? I remember Valentine's Day and me, like, laughing about that. And I was dating someone at the time who I had got it from, and he would talk about how he had cold sores, but he was never really used the discourse or, like, the language. I think that's kind of a way a person discloses, and this was a thought that just came up when you said that. It's like a person who constantly mentions their cold sores, I think that's kind of their way of letting you know I have this. And if you end up with herpes, if you test positive for herpes, I told you I get cold sores. But if you ask me if I have herpes, I'm going to tell you, no, I have cold sores. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I've been around folks since then that get cold sores and they'll make a herpes joke. And I'm like, you know, that meme of the woman with the math equation? Like, how how is that translating? There seems to be such a stigma associated with the sex piece of things, obviously. And I think... That's connected to so many things around, you know, connections to our bodies and the sex negativity that we've kind of inherited in this life. And yeah, so I kind of absorbed that from him. And, I, and so I was kind of shocked, even though looking back, I'm like, yeah, love, that's kind of how this works. And I remember getting a diagnosis. I think I texted him. I think I was mad. I think I was angry uh, that day. And I ended up texting my, my sibling, who's older than me, and that was probably like the best thing that I could have done because she was just like oh honey like once you get to my age like somebody's had like everybody's had something or other by the time we like get here you know I was like okay uh, and she was like we're cheersing you over here like she was so sweet about it you know and I think that's one of the benefits I'm queer and she's queer and I think that that doesn't really necessarily mean anything or or essentialize anything in particular but I think for us it's meant that we've had the opportunity to really surround ourselves with folks that are trying to make their own way and build different kinds of scripts. And I think one of those often is around sex and around stigmas. And I think we, I've been really lucky in being able to, to interact with some folks that normalized it almost right away. I always Ooh. thought queer meant questioning. I Googled it and it said weird. I'm really confused. <laughs> I'm learning a lot of stuff at one time in the realm of how society is doing language about inclusivity, about gender, sexuality, and 
all of this stuff is being dumped in my head and like my degrees in advertising. So I'm learning this along the way. So can you help me understand a little bit about what it means to be queer? Because I genuinely have a lot of ideas of what that means. That's a great question. So do I. Part of the beauty of it is that there are so many definitions of what that means for folks. When I've thought about it, sometimes I think about queerness being kind of the capacity to think beyond binaries. Oh. Um, so, and that's like one of like the most like umbrella ways that I've thought about it, because I think, I think anyone who says this is what queerness is definitively, that might be definitive for them, but I think everyone's going to have their own definition. So yeah. I kind of think of it like, because there's also sexuality and gender and how those are separate, but also intertwined sometimes. And I think there can be like queerness around sexuality and queerness around gender. And, you know, I got both going on. And I think for me, particularly around gender, it's talking about kind of challenging what is considered normal or dominant and how those kind of normal and dominant things are really thrust on us and pushed on us. And then queerness can kind of be one way. It's not the only way to kind of challenge that and to queer it. I'm doing a little thing with my hand and I'm, I'm turning things around, but, and kind of same with sexuality. Like once I remember, you know, talking to my mom about this and she's been like a little bit more open to sexuality than to the gender stuff. But I'm trying to like talk to her about gender and say, you know, like, what would it do to think of everyone in the world having their own gender? Like there's as many genders as there are human beings. And if that were to be like a truth that you accept, you know, sexuality gets real complicated because it's like, what does that even mean? So I think, yeah, that's what kind of queerness has meant for me is kind of challenging and being open to pushing the boundaries of what we've been taught is normal. One of the definitions that's come to mind has been figuring it out. I haven't spoken to anyone who's been just queer. There are either people who don't identify with anything at all or there are people who have gotten to a place of realizing that they are bisexual or that they're pansexual or that they are homosexual. I've not heard it explained this particular way. Do you see yourself going somewhere else or do you see yourself staying here in the queer space? Yeah, I think I see myself staying here in this queer space. Okay. Um, yeah, I think identity markers and like I can really and like identity kind of claiming different identities is really beautiful and really useful for a lot of folks, particularly in finding community. You know, I like to try different things on. As I've gotten also a little bit older, it's different than when I was like 23 figuring this stuff. And now I'm just getting a little bit more comfortable with the not knowing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Get comfortable with the not knowing. Yeah. And you find yourself just really enjoying the space of. I imagine that you feel as freely expressive as you can be in the space of identifying as queer and connecting with being non-binary, I'm going to assume, because you're using them, they, all right. Uh, Like I said, I'm figuring it out. So if there's anything that I need to be corrected on, please let me know. Cool. Well, yeah, I think that, thank you. That's amazing. I think that can come up in all different kinds of circumstances. So likewise. Okay. And so do you get questioned about your sexuality, your gender, how you present from people? Let's say you go out to a social gathering and someone may be attracted to you and interested. Do you generally attract a certain type of person, whether it be masculine presenting or feminine presenting over the other 
tricky one. Um, I'm not totally sure. I think my presentation has also shifted quite a bit over the past six or seven years, like my gender presentation and, and what I look like. And I think that's been like a bit of a social experiment also um, in ways because I think that I have connected with people of like all different genders um, throughout that time and dated people of all different genders. Um, but I do notice that particularly interacting with like cis men, I get more attention from cis men when my hair is longer, um, when I'm like dressing particular ways. Um, and I think that's complex and connected to, to, you know, how men are socialized to find certain things attractive and like internalized homophobia probably in a lot of ways, just if I'm presenting more masculine and if they find me attractive, it's like less acceptable for them to, to be, to pursue me, I guess. But yeah, I think outside of that, that's one of the things that has come up. But I think outside of that, it's kind of been all over the map. Okay. My girlfriend pointed out to me, um, that like my attraction has been very, I guess the way that um, it's presented like obviously more feminine than masculine, but like I think I've been mostly attracted to queer identifying. I, would you say women like queer femmes? I guess I don't know if that's the language. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're but like it out. the yeah, way the way you describe it, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like not necessarily longer hair, but not the things that a traditionally masculine person would be attracted to so like we're talking you know i present as a masculine dominant muscular facial hair bone structure all of these things it's assumed that i would be attracted to petite long hair i guess makeup um and this is just what i'm going off of just thinking what i thought i was supposed to be attracted to and then now it's more just like about how a person presents themselves um, when they show up in the space, it's like I find myself being more attracted to people. It's like, oh, I in, I appreciate your behavior, your thought process. Like, I like how you express yourself. And then, oh, you also have these features, <laughs> you know, these things yeah. that I find myself attracted to. And attraction, I'm learning it. I think that that evolves as well. So while we're talking about how you choose to present how that's changing until you sit into a place where it's comfortable. I think the same thing goes with attraction, like your taste, your attraction changes over time. Totally. That's beautiful. Love that. Uh, But uh, would you say that as well? Like, have you always known you were queer or did you know that you weren't all the way straight, I guess you would say? (laughs) All the way straight is really good. No, I grew up not really like having the language or ideas or models to really know I'm still like what even am I I'm not sure yeah so I don't have like a big dramatic coming out story I moved away from my hometown and kind of did a classic just now I'm queer the way I came out was I started dating this person I fell in love with her and I told my mom well I'm dating a woman and that was a bit tricky that was when I was like 23 so I, I came out around then and before that I look back even as a child and I'm like oh that's what that was especially around gender I'm like mm, yeah I wanted that outfit for different reasons than I thought um, oh. or like I wanted to look a certain way for different reasons than I had language for at the time so I think on levels I knew but yeah I think it's one of those 
those tricky things that then I came into knowing about queerness and I was like, oh, it's almost silly to say that I'm only attracted to one gender when there are like seven billion genders out in the world, you know? So yeah, that's just kind of how I came to it. And when we talk about being attracted to someone, I'm finding that there are different ways of being attracted. Like, not all attraction is necessarily sexual. It's not, I want to rub bodies together. Like, it could just be a matter of wanting to engage with someone or have a conversation, see what their thought processes are, understanding understanding their experiences and their perspective on the world, and then their sexuality, you know, as well. Traditionally, I guess, cis men, and again, language, (laughs) cis men, I would say, are more like, they'd like a person or really like spending time with a guy and then be very um, standoffish about expressing that. Like, hey man, I just like hanging out with you. Let's (laughs) hang out more. I want to do things. I don't think it's the same thing for women. I feel like women or people who are non-binary are just more open to expressing and communicating that whereas as cis men we still have this reserve against not only expressing vulnerability but even just communicating hey i like this i would like more of it that's yeah that feels very real i think i was working um for a while at a sexual assault center on the west coast and part of our work was working with men and masculine folks around assault but also just like masculinity in general and that kind of stuff came up a lot. My mentor and, and friend, we used to say, we open up kind of our toolboxes that society gives us, and we're given very particular ones, and I think men are given a particular toolbox often when they go for, for the, when they try to practice these kinds of intimacies. Patriarchy and these ways that we interact with one another that's rooted in that kind of stuff, it really can limit the tools that many men have to build those kinds of intimacies with one another and with women and, and non-binary folks. It's too bad. I think we're missing out. We're missing out on experiences. We're missing out on potential for expanding our own perspectives as well. I imagine for you, the world is your oyster because you are open to approaching and having whatever experiences with anyone. You've said that you dated all genders and you're not cut off from the potential experiences that there are. I heard this on a podcast recently that every individual has like their own serial number and when you join with that person you create a new serial number when you all are getting together and then you're going off and doing whatever it is that you're doing you're creating a set of experiences with its own serial number so you got no cap on the infinite serial numbers that you can potentially have and as people who are allowing ourselves to be more closed off who get into our own heads about oh i want to approach that person or i want to talk to that person but i'm not supposed to i think that we're really limiting ourselves on the experiences that we can potentially have in the world you're here yeah i think falling in love too really like for me in some ways made it so i'm almost more open to different kinds of love afterwards I kind of want to nerd out. I'm in school and I'm reading all these this theory, but there's this theorist, Sarah Ahmed, and she talks about um, encounters with one another and how we're actually like created as beings through our encounters. And in that way, because when, like, say you and I are meeting right now, but so many encounters had to happen in order for that to take place. Um, and I think she talks about love a lot and kind of letting go of this idea of love as 
as an investment, but also understanding that we are accountable to each other and, in my view, kind of care for each other because we couldn't exist without one another, really. And we are who we are because of all of these encounters that are taking place between us and all of the encounters that have had to take place in order for that to happen. And I think about that in relation to intimacy and the kinds of things that we can become because we are open to building intimacies regardless of what they look like with one another. That is very beautiful said. Beautifully. <laughs> I don't know if I got right. I feel like I'm going to get like people who are so like Sarah Ahmed nerds that are going to be like, that's not right. Well, I mean, I'm always open to correction. So if people want to jump on here and correct us about it, I welcome yeah, it. More yeah, power to you. I've gotten a question in the past of people wanting to know how vulva owners have <laughs> sex with vulva owners having a herpes diagnosis. So first off, has herpes been an issue for you dating? I mean, it's definitely been a factor in my dating. I think I kind of do this thing where I like, and I feel like this is probably common for folks who, who are living with herpes, but you like suss out like how that conversation might go based off of other things that the person's saying or how safe you're feeling with that person. So I definitely think it's slowed me down in my dating a little bit just in terms of taking my time with people and it's a bit of a radar and I think it has resulted in sometimes me saying no to dating someone because of a particular thing that they said or something that I might not have said no to if I didn't have her face. It's a good radar in certain circumstances and I think I've been pretty lucky. I started dating someone and we took so long and we were so nervous around each other and we liked each other so much. Um, I remember sleeping over and we didn't touch, you know, we were like separated on the bed. So it took a really long time to get to anywhere where we're going to talk about sex, but I was like, I have to do this. And so I was like, so, you know, I just wanted to like check in before things go any further. And like when I was a bit younger, like I dated this guy and he got cold sores and she immediately just went, I have herpes. And I was like, oh shit okay and I was like cool me too like it was just like yeah it was just this really funny thing and I was like wait it's so common and I think that was really a funny and beautiful thing to experience at some point in my life and I think once that was said neither of us had an outbreak while we were dated for a few years I kind of forgot about it as as a thing but I think in casual dating it's definitely feels more like I'm fielding things doing that like figuring out how the conversation will go before it happens. Yeah. You never know how it's going to go, and we can play out all these scenarios in our brains. And when I disclosed to my partner, Sierra, that was the response that I got. And I was over her house the next day. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, Are you still seeing this person? Uh, I'm not seeing that person. I am dating, and I've been dating one person for the past couple months pretty yeah you feel people out and the way that you just disclosed that was really a way that i hadn't heard before so you let the other person know you had a partner who got cold sores and now you have herpes as a result of it so you're also letting them know that cold sores are herpes you're letting them know oh well if i get cold sores it's possible to make that into your genital herpes people just aren't aware of that and there's a number of reasons that is that that's a thing that we don't have to go into and we've touched on it on other podcast episodes so i like that i like the way that you disclosed i like that response that you got and um that having herpes isn't really it doesn't seem to really be affecting you and you say you don't get outbreaks not 
recently. No, I got like quite a few the first year mm-hmm. that uh, I was diagnosed, and then I got some more when I was like 24, and I'm 29 now. I haven't gotten any in a few years. I'm still like pretty hypervigilant, uh, like just in terms of what I'm, if I'm consistently sleeping with people and ensuring that I'm checking and stuff. But yeah, it hasn't actually come up too much as a physical thing Mm -hmm. i think it's come up a lot in terms of conversations and i feel like in the past little year or so there's been a lot more conversation especially on social media about it so it actually feels like it's been more in my life over the past year than it has in a while which is really nice actually what are some precautions that you take with lovers are they Mm. different for penis owners and vulva owners i think precautions start with disclosure and ensuring like I, I tell anyone that I'm going to sleep with and figure out what their level of comfort is. Um, I've used barriers before. I've used like gloves and things with folks. I think for the most part, also there's ways to keep underwear on if that makes people feel better. There's ways to like, oh, this is getting intimate, eh? Um, but this is also the kind of stuff that I want to know about other stuff. I've had queer representation on the podcast, and these are the things that people are genuinely curious about that can also help them. You know, we're getting to a place where the people who come on here, everyone is navigating their experience a little bit differently and speaking to different people. But this has been a big thing I'm finding is just like, okay, well, heteronormativity, we know condoms, barriers, um, disclosure, of course, but like, I I guess like using toys, for example, like, is there um, a precaution there? Or I guess we're talking about scissoring as well. And like, if that's too much, we can cut this out too. (laughs) But these are things I just wouldn't think to ask, but I'm just putting myself in the listener's shoes. Like, how does sex look for a vulva owner with herpes who has sex with other vulva owners? I mean, it's gonna, yeah, all depend on vulva owners involved, I think. But yeah, I think there's like one way... One thing that I've done is like we use a strap on, but we use the form, like the kind, like we use the harnesses that kind of look like underwear. So the person is quite covered, but they still are, have a strap on on. So there's that. Ensuring that the toys are well cleaned and just sanitized in between uses is useful. I think no matter what, there's just, there's going to be a chance of transmission. And I think that a thing that. You know, I just, like, for a while, I just, like, hated really reckoning with that. Like, I wanted to do all the things to make it totally sure that someone's not going to get it. And so I think having the comfort of the person just being aware of that risk has been huge. And I think it's kind of just an agreement between the two people. And there's all kinds of risk associated with sex, right? And I think whether that's, like, emotional risk or... I don't know, all kinds of things, right? That, like, sex is wrapped up into so many parts of ourselves and so many things in society that, like, to me, this is just, like, one, another one that we can navigate together and figure out if we want to, like, take that journey together. So, yeah, I think, like, scissor if you want to scissor and know that there's, like, a risk with scissoring no matter, like, whether it's herpes or your heart, you know? Um, so I think... It depends also, like, where the outbreak is located. If, if folks get them on their mouth, then maybe they, like, always use barriers, or maybe they take that risk, um, or they, like, don't go down on the person. I don't know if I answered the question. You did, you did. I like, yeah? I okay. like your answer about just 
making the other person aware that there's always a risk. And it's important to allow that other person to have the choice because you giving them the choice, while it doesn't completely give you peace of mind because there are people that still struggle with, oh, I might give this person herpes and I don't want to ruin their lives, we have to be able to pull our opinion from the facts. The fact is we have herpes. The fact is that if we become intimate with a person that it's possible to transmit the virus. And with that consent and the mutual understanding that there's always a risk, I think that that's the most safe thing you can do is to express that and make sure that both parties, all parties are aware of what that risk is. And while we don't consider disclosure to be a precaution but that's a powerful thing like I'm really big on how our bodies respond to our beliefs about things so you're stressing yourself out with the thought I might give this person herpes even though they said they're okay with it and I told my truth and let them know that there's a risk this is what the risk is this is what I'm working with you can stress yourself into a more active viral situation to where now you're more likely to pass it on as well or experience symptoms or to have it express itself again if you've had an outbreak in the past. It's important to utilize that as a safety precaution as well, just being able to be honest and being able to trust yourself to do all of the things that you know to do to keep your partner safe and to be able to trust that they know what they're doing when they say, okay, well, I'm looking to you to minimize the risk. There's no elimination of the risk. Yeah, I think that is so important. And I think I have experienced, you know, in casual dating, me kind of communicating, you know, I can do everything. I can do everything I can possibly do. And there's still a chance that you might get this. And that person being like, cool, I know that. That's totally fine. And me still, because of other dynamics between us, like I'm still nervous about it. I just really appreciate you mentioning like the kind of inner battle that goes on where you're like that hesitation and that stress. Sometimes that boundary between you and that person is also for you and like taking care of your health and your mental health and your physical health and being able to confidently interact with people the way that you want to and the way that you're excited to. Yeah, I just think that that's really important. And I thank you for sharing that and opening up for this conversation to come through and for being so open to share about what you do personally to protect partners when you're engaging in sex with them. How are you now with herpes? Like, where are you psychologically, emotionally with your diagnosis? Are you at peace with it? Are there moments that you have where you're just like, oh, man, like I have herpes? Yeah, I think that I still have moments like that. I like to think that I don't because I'd really love to be able to talk about it with partners and with people in ways that dispel and disempower some of that stigma. And I think I do that, but I just also have moments and I think it does come up in relation to transmission. Yeah, so I do have moments where I notice, especially when people make a joke, I'm extra vigilant to noticing partners' reactions, even if they have nothing to do with herpes. If they make something that I like read as having to do with it, then like some feelings come up. And so that's when I'm like, oh, Eliza, you've like got some stuff still, still harboring and you like emotionally and psychologically. But I think, yeah, over the last year, it's been really lovely to like find your page, to find the page my boyfriend has herpes, to like see people that I know kind of more openly talking about it. But yeah, I think we like that stigma is powerful and we're living in a world where certain spaces are just not safe for folks. And I think... 
I'm so intensely lucky to surround myself with the people that I've surrounded myself by, but I know that, like, out there, it's tough. It's tough for a lot of folks, and I hope that folks can can find you and, and all of us that are out here living our best lives. Yeah, and I think those moments are normal, and there are pe- other people having them, and you're still great. Yeah. That was beautiful. See, and you thought this whole time that you weren't interesting. What what was the word? I don't remember the word that you used. Uh, it's like, I don't think I'm very remarkable. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think you definitely will have made a mark on this podcast at the very least. This is a conversation that people have asked for more of. We've had queer people on the podcast before. I just didn't think it was important to highlight that. And the conversation about pronouns in the beginning, I really appreciate that as well. So thank you for your time, especially with the short turnaround time that we had of setting up. It just worked out for us both to be available right now. And thank you so much. You're a very beautiful person inside and out. And I appreciate you taking the time to have this discussion. Yeah, you're so very welcome. Thanks for reaching out, and I'm just so thankful for your work and all that you're doing for folks and yourself. And yeah, it's been so lovely to to connect and cross paths, and I'm just so excited to see more work from you. So thank you. Before I let y'all get out of here, I got to shout out Waxo for their ongoing support of Something Positive for Positive People and for having me as a spokesperson for DatingPositives.com as well. If you haven't checked out either of those sites, please do so. It's just DatingPositives.com, all one word. And then Waxo, W-A-X-O-H, is a sex positive magazine. And I've contributed a lot of writing material to that website if you want to check that out. Uh, Do not get to post a lot of something positive for positive people related content publicly or where it's going to get a lot of eyeballs outside of Waxo, really. So I'm thankful for that medium, that platform, for being able to talk about things like how people who suffer from a herpes diagnosis experience depression, suicide ideation, and be able to get the message out from uh, that episode 92 uh, podcast where I just talked about that and what the survey that I had listeners take, um, what the results were from that. Please visit www.spfpp.org and check out the website. I need all the feedback I can get. I built one website before and I took it down immediately because it was so trash. And it was also for a fitness business that I was trying to start. So this is something that I'm really, really proud of. And if you have feedback on making it better or if you're someone who uh, thinks that there's language that can be twisted around a little bit to make it more concise. Because I know I ramble. I ramble on the podcast and I'm sure I do it in my writing. I write and type and text exactly how I talk. So even when I'm typing, you can hear the pauses and everything in my speech as I do that. If you are capable of being able, if you're able to donate, make any kind of a donation to something positive for positive people, uh, these donations right now are going to help me with getting to STD Engage so that I can present in front of people who can help get this resource, this podcast, in front of people when they're newly diagnosed and pumped across their networks so that we can have more opportunities to get more funding and we can begin getting therapy to people who are newly diagnosed. Like I said, we've raised some money, but not enough to necessarily cover someone's healing process through therapy. Ideally, we'd be able to cover like 12 weeks of therapy 
per person, even if it's just one time a week in a perfect world, maybe twice a week. Um, and I have a handful of people on standby for that right now. So I'm working on everything I can on my end to be able to get sponsors, to be able to get discounted rates with the therapist, to being able to uh, work with insurance companies in order to um, come up with something that fits this particular mold. Uh, you heard me mention episode zero in this podcast, and I apologize because um, as of the release date of this episode, it will not be up. I recorded an episode zero before, and that episode zero is no longer applicable to this podcast, just because at that point in time, I really was just interviewing people with herpes. So I took that episode down, but I will be publishing a new one. So if you stuck around, this far. Uh, thank you for your patience. Um, I plan to upload an episode zero here in the next few weeks. So just bear with me. I'll be sure to announce it across all platforms and it'll be an update on the podcast. And I'll also drop some, uh, useful information in there as well, maybe about disclosure, rejection, listener questions, something to make it worth your while if uh, you're someone who's listened to episode zero in the past. But basically, it'll just be letting people know what this podcast is and a little bit about the nonprofit and what they can expect from it, what they can get out of it. And um, we'll see where it goes. But like I said, I ramble, so you never know where it's going to go. Thank you, everybody, for your continued support. Uh, The subscribers to the podcast are extremely high compared to what I thought they were prior to shifting everything over to the website. So thank you, everybody, for your support. Thank you for resubscribing. Thank you for sharing the podcast, rating and leaving reviews, because that really, really helps us with our mission here in terms of getting the exposure that we need alongside so many other amazing podcasts. Like It's great to see that this one is up there in the rankings of sexuality and sexual health. Till next time, stay sex positive.